0: I really like Steve Morris because he is a radical man who loves Jesus with all his heart. It's wonderful being around him, knowing that he's one who just, when God says something, when God says jump, he says, how high? Let's go for this. And I love the fact that he loves the word of God, loves to preach it. I also really like the fact that he's a man after my own heart, and he also loves mooning. And uh, so I'm sure that uh, we're going to find out about some more mooning this morning. So Steve Morris. Thanks. Thank you. Can you bring me a stand for this? Oh, God, I've taken all the stands, right. that's all. Um, so I know you're, you're wondering after yesterday, um, you thought that was a good Mooney story, thank you, cheers, but, but where did your moonie career begin? You see, there's a small window of opportunity as a young boy for a, for a career in mooning, There's a cut-off point when it becomes unacceptable to moony, okay? And one must prepare themselves for that cut-off point. It's a short career. It's a bit like football. You've got to go quickly, and then you've got to retire early before everybody sort of relegates you, and you get embarrassed about it. And the story I told you yesterday, as embarrassing as it was, was probably the peak of the embarrassment of my mooning career. But in terms of the most trouble that I got in... That yesterday didn't didn't add a patch on the one that got me in the most trouble. Um, I'll, I'll I'll give you a brief kind of a preview. There was there was a, a prerequisite in school. I there, there were two floors uh, with windows on on both floors, and it looked out down onto the entrance of the school one of my friends was standing by the entrance of the school and i was up in one of the classrooms that gave what is called optimum mooning opportunity okay just remember that there's an optimum opportunity it meant if he looked up and i was in the window all he would see was my moonie this was a great opportunity so of course i did what any any reasonable young man would do I stood at the window I prepared this is true as well I don't make these stories up I prepared to to bear my bottom to my friend and at that moment the bishop from the local area came through the school gates to come and give an assembly I know I know. And for some reason he didn't think it was funny to be greeted at the gate by a young man bearing his bottom from the window. So I was in trouble already with the school and I already had a reputation for bearing my bottom. But again, you see, another optimum mooning opportunity presented itself when we were on a school trip. Now, you've all been on school trips and the place you want to sit on the coach is where? Right on the back seats, right? Right on the back seats. That back row. Yes. You're saying yes, right? So I hit the back seat and I was there and about four of my mates were all banked on the back seats now when we went on this school trip there were two coaches okay and when you're on the motorway sometimes the coaches will run alongside each other like this you know where this is going don't you how could a young apprentice moonia miss an opportunity like this I had the back seat. That's the biggest window on the coach. Now, mooning is generally a, a single-man single sport. You don't tend to... It's not a team game, okay? There's not really a team game. But I had some team members with me who were keen to make this a great opportunity. So again, there was girls involved. There was girls on the other coach. We thought this is a great chance to, to again increase our status. We go, we're there. Now, the, the, this is perfect this again is optimum mooning opportunity because those seats have got almost something you can rest and perch yourself on so i had perched on the back of the coach right a window also gives a good opportunity to put an imprint against i know it was perfect right so we are there we have the back seats, we have the imprints ready. We we begin to pull down our trousers and then my friend next to us goes cramp, cramp, ah, ah, cramp, and he stays in his seat. He's gutted. He is gutted. That's like the equivalent of, of a of knee injury ruining your moonie career. He's got cramp at an optimum moment. Unlucky, I don't have cramp. I'm a pro. I'm there. Two of my friends banking me. We start to Mooney. We put the imprint against the window. We have perfected it. It goes past the coach. The girls are laughing. Everyone's like, yes, you are legends. Well done. Ah! They're going crazy. Then the coach driver starts to laugh. His friend is the other coach driver, I know. What does he think? I want my mate to see this, this is hilarious. Everybody thinks mooneying is hilarious. So he drives a little bit faster to show the other coach driver our bare bottoms pressed against the window. There's one problem in this plan. I said the best seat to sit in on a coach is right at the back. But on what seats did the teachers sit? Yeah, I've got it. They sit right at the front. And where does the bus driver sit? The front. I'm there with a horrifying realisation that if he shows the other driver, we will also be showing the teachers our bare bums against the window. This was never our intention. So I'm now there trying to pull my school trousers up. I hadn't thought about the end of the performance. I'd only thought about the middle. I couldn't get them up in time. I'm struggling. And then I'm doing this against the window. That's (laughs) bad. not only am I showing my teachers my bum I actually look like I'm rubbing it in their face I'm desperate trousers come on I finally get the trousers on we sit down and we realise what we have done we are in immense trouble we are in such trouble that when we get off the coach the teacher simply says these words I'll see you in the head teacher's office in the morning boys nothing else That's fear. Strikes the fear in the heart of a young man. When I went to the head teacher's office the next day, they said to me that I'd have to explain to the board of governors, which are the people that run the school, why what I did was inappropriate and I should be allowed to stay at the Church of England school that I was attending. This isn't good. They then show me a letter The letter, and if you're familiar with school, they have to detail incidents in case they get in trouble. What they wanted to do was exclude us from school for this prank. Okay, So they have to detail everything and write down exactly what happened. There was a detailed report of what had happened. Steve Morris pulled himself up against the window and bared his bottom to an oncoming coach of school teachers. But to my horror, the letter was addressed to my dad. I know, because you and I were thinking the same thing. I could go home and just make up a lie, right? I'm in trouble, got to go before the governors. We might be excluded from school. We might not, but this is, I could have said anything. I've got to go home knowing full well that that letter is going to be sent, and my dad is going to read that letter before me. I felt so embarrassed. I just felt so embarrassed, What am I going to say to my dad? Of all the reasons to get excluded from school, this is not one of them. The teacher called me into an office and said to me and my friend, Steve, you are going to get ease on a good day. You are a total failure. Ease on a good day, you're a total failure. And this letter is going to your dad. I remember going home on the bus thinking, I've got no idea why I've done this. I've got no idea what I'm gonna say. I felt that feeling of shame. You know that feeling of just embarrassment, of like, I, I, I can't do it. I don't want to go and speak to him. I do not want to go and speak to my dad. This, was, this is, in, 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 in my career of mooning. I mean, making the front of the, the, the kind of school, annual kind of, I can't remember what it's called, where you all have your photos. Making the front page of that was a highlight. Having a poo paper in between my butt cheeks was not a highlight, but was a funny moment. This was just shame. It was just shame and embarrassment. And a story that we're going to talk about today is of a son who experiences worse shame than that and has to go to his father. It's called the prodigal son. It's one of the most famous parables that Jesus tells. Most people would have heard this parable, even far beyond the churches. People would know lines from this parable and know words uh, and ideas that come from this parable. It's again taken from the Gospel of Luke. And um, we, I said that it's to give us a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's to give us a glimpse of what it looks like where Jesus is king, what it looks like when we make Jesus Lord, what the kingdom will look like. And, uh, and yesterday we, we left it with this idea that we need to be... Be honest before God. But the, you see, the problem if I just give you that part of it, we've got to like that overview video that I showed you of Cape Town. We've got to look at it from loads of different angles. We've got to look at it from loads of different perspectives. And if we'd left it at just that, it's almost as though we can be honest before God but we have to stay at a distance because of our shame. And some of us have got this image of God where God is going to weigh up the scales of all the good you've done and weigh it against the bad. And, 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 and God is literally a judge doing this all the time with your life. Good. yep, yeah, that was okay. Um, that, that was really good what they did there, but that was terrible. No, sorry. And these scales are constantly maneuvering. And what we have to do by the end of our life is just keep God happy with us. Just keep the, st- the scales tilted in order Enough. Even as Christians, we know sometimes we, we come, if you're Christian, you come to the worship service or you come before God and you just feel embarrassed. I know, I'm just not worthy of this. I know, I just feel guilty all the time. I'm not doing this well enough. I'm not good enough at trying to be a Christian. And, and I think this parable would have something to say to us. It says this, and it's gonna come up on the screen as I read it. There's been two, two parables that have been told before about a lost sheep and a lost coin. And then it says this There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. I just want to pause there. The son goes to the father and says, Give me the share of property that is going to come my way. At that time, that is the equivalent of going to your dad and saying, Dad, I wish you were dead and could you just pretend as though you're dead and we sell the property and you give me half of the money that would be due to me when you die. Give me the land that would be due to me. It's the equivalent of going to your dad and saying I dislike you so much we have no relationship to such an extent that I wish you were dead and I just want you for your money. That's what he's gone and said to his dad. He divided it. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, you can't take property with you. You can't cut a house in half, take half of it, and go and party with half a house. You can't, right? We're all in agreement about that. You can't take a plot of land and go and party with it. So what he's actually done is sold it. He's sold it. He's cashed it in. Again, imagine the embarrassment. Imagine the shame. This should be Shameful. This would have been shameful for the whole family that the son had disregarded them all so much, didn't care about them so much that he would be prepared to sell out of living with them, leave them with half the property that they had before and go off and and waste the money in reckless living. When he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was no longer to be fed with, and sorry, he was longing to be fed, which means he was desperate to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. This is almost like a reinforcement, again of this idea of shame. Pigs were unclean. They would not have eaten pigs. They would not have wanted to go into it. In fact, the pigs were almost like a rude word for people. Just to say, if you said to someone, "You're a pig," that was such an offensive thing to say. People in, the his- in history, uh, um, uh, the Jewish people have even said, "We would rather die than be associated with pigs. We would rather die. It is so shameful. They are so unclean. It would be design- I mean, for reasons. That would be a long sermon to go into, but you just need to know that this is like shame on shame on shame. Not only did you wish your dad was dead, not only did you then sell his property, not only did you then take his money and you squandered it, but you didn't even make something out of his money. You didn't even make something of yourself with his money. You went and wasted his money and you ended up in shame, wishing that you could eat the food that pigs are eating. Pigs are known for eating absolutely anything. That I'd do anything game, the pig would be in there in a second, noshing the whole thing like it's no problem. Some of you were like, oh, oh, no, no, my hair, no, no. The pig is in there. Fish heads, it's like a treat for a pig. That is like a midnight feast for a pig, what we were doing there. okay? And he's looking at what the pig's eating, those pods, and saying, I'm desperate, I'm so desperate, I just wish I could get involved here. I wish I could get in with these pigs. But when he, when, he came to him, uh, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I'm perishing here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is such a key pivotal p- point in this story. This is a key moment for the young. He learnt what we learnt yesterday. He has this moment of honesty before God and before his father. He realises he's done something terribly wrong and he realises that he didn't just sin against his dad. He didn't just make a mistake against his dad. It actually was, he's sinned against heaven. His sin has affected his relationships. All of his, It's affected his relationship up with God and it's affected his relationships out with other people. He's just suddenly come to this moment of raw honesty there with the pigs and said, what have I become? I need to change. I need to do something about this situation. So he needs to come up with a plan. He needs to re- decide what he's going to do. So he gets up. He arose and he goes to his father. But while he was still a long way off, he plans to go to his father and say to his dad, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like a servant. I'll, I'll just forego my rights as a son. Treat me like a servant. And here is The example that we're given here is just so, so famous and it needs to sink so deep here. You need to know that this is like ultimate shame. This isn't going home and telling your dad you may be excluded from school because you moonied. This isn't bearing your pants before teachers. This is absolute shame. How are they going to treat me? Are they going to chase me away? Are they going to make me a servant? Are they even going to let me in? Are they going to hunt me down? What are they going to do? What is my dad going to say? He arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He gives him his speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father looked at his servants. The the very same people the son thought, I'm going to be one of these servants. At best, at absolute best, my dad might let me be a servant. He looks at his servants and he saying, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and let us celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And they began to Celebrate. You see, the problem with you being honest is when you become so honest before God, you realize just all the nature of who you are. You think, God, I, 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 I want to be honest before you, but I'm so embarrassed. There's stories I will tell you, right? I'll stand here and tell you those stories and will make fun of me, and that's okay. I can laugh at some of those stories, but I want to be really honest with you. There's some stories of stuff I did when I was younger that I wouldn't be shouting about off the stage here. There's stories that aren't funny. There's things I said to people that I wish I could take back. There's stuff that I, I feel embarrassed about. I feel shamed about and I, I, that I did. And once I, I heard a message, and I never understood what the Bible really meant when it says repent. What does that even mean? We don't use the word repent anymore. And someone explained it like this. When you repent, when you come before God, you do a 180 degree turn and you, you move into a different direction. And the son realizes I've made so many mistakes. I just want to turn into a different direction. I want to turn my life around and I want to face a different way. And I want to do things that are different and I went down and I prayed and I said and i didn 't become a Christian, but I was just wrestling with so much guilt of the things that I, I used to do or, or or the ways I used to be and i didn 't know how to come before God I, I just i didn't i 'd happily stand at the back of the room when it came to be before God because I didn't want to be shamed i didn't want to bring all this stuff into the light and I went forward and I prayed with somebody and somebody gave me a rock and they placed this small rock in my hand and I said and I, and I said what why have you given me a rock? And they said because sometimes when we pray for forgiveness we, we, we fail to believe that we've really been forgiven. And I want you to look at this rock and any time you feel guilty about those things that you've already asked for forgiveness for, you are to remember that your sins have been forgiven and forgotten. If you're a Christian here today, I want to tell you that God hasn't got scales. He's not weighing up. If you're a non-Christian here today, I want to tell you God hasn't got scales. He's not weighing up all the things you're doing wrong and all the things you're doing right. And constantly doing this in heaven. Are you going to make it? Am I going to use you? Are you going to be good enough? God is not doing that. He loves you like the father in this story. Jesus gave you this story so that you know you have a father in heaven who when the scriptures say when you sin and you ask forgiveness and you say we're going to turn in a different way like this son does when you realise that is sinful before before God and before others I'm going to live my life differently and I'm going to do things in a different way. Your sin is forgiven and forgotten. I used to think that when I went to heaven there would be a DVD that we'd be playing and all my mates would be in a room like this and my parents would be there all my friends would be there and Jesus would call us up one by one and then we'd come before and then the video screen would play on the 4th of December this is what Steve did while he was alone in his bedroom boom on the 6th of December this is what Steve said in front of a room full of people to embarrass this person over here boom and I thought it would show everybody the DVD and you would have to stand account for all of those things until I realised when, when you see the father in this story what he does is he covers him with robes and he, and he, and he calls him and he puts a ring on his finger what Jesus does if that, that is such a rubbish analogy it was such bad thinking on my behalf if it was ever going to happen I tell you this is exactly what would happen they would show the DVD and it would be totally blank they would look to Jesus and Jesus would say I've erased the whole thing for him he would cover me with his robe that's what it means when it says the righteousness the right living of Christ is applied to you as a Christian he covers you Jesus covers you and and God would roar you forward and not only does he say you're welcome back in the house Not only does he say you do not have to be a servant, not only does he put a robe around him and a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, but he brings a calf, says let's kill it, let's eat and let's celebrate. You don't have to stand at the back of the room. You don't have to stand at the back of the room. I'm so embarrassed. I constantly feel guilty. I I don't know whether whether I'm good enough to come before God. You can boldly approach the throne. You can step forward and forward and forward and walk towards God. And as you walk towards God, you'll realize, as we were celebrating earlier, that the whole of heaven is throwing a party for you. You're going to enter a party. You're not going to enter in shame through the back door. You're going to enter a party. Because God loves you and He loves you exactly where you are right now. You have a father in heaven who is desperate to invite you to a party because He loves you. And for some of us, we've, we, we, we've never ever heard of a father like this. We've never heard of a father like this. Your dad didn't learn how to be a dad potentially from this. You may have had a rubbish example. You may want to say to me, you've never met my dad. You may want to say to me, I've never met my dad. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about that, how that makes me feel. You might say to me, I've never heard my dad look me in the eyes and tell me that he loves me. I'm never good enough for my dad. You don't know what my dad's like. I've never been good enough for my dad. Then I would ask you to humbly pick up this story, to, to, to read it over and over again and know that you have a father in heaven who in spite of where you are or wherever you may find yourself in the future, I, 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 I wouldn't wish any of you find yourself with the pigs and find yourself having car crashed your life in the future. But if you ever do, I long for you to recall these words that you can come running home to your father in heaven and he will throw a party for you and he will throw a robe around you and he will say, I loved you because you were lost and now you're found. If you sit here and you constantly feel guilty about being a Christian, you constantly think you're not good enough, you constantly think that you're the worst person in the room and if only everybody knew what I had done, if anybody knew how, how, what I really was like, what I really thought, what I really do, I would love you to hold this story and say, you've got a dad like that who wants to throw you a party, who wants you to rejoice, who wants to rejoice with you. And sure, we need to turn from some of those things, and we don't always want, we don't want to go back to those things. There's no hint in this story that the son ever thinks he's going to go back to those things, is there? You can't imagine the son two months later going, yeah, do you know what? Dad, actually, thanks for welcoming me back. Do you mind selling the house again? Can we run? You don't get the idea of that because when you've been truly loved by God to such an extent and it goes so deep in you, you realize I don't ever want to go back to where I was. I don't want to live in any other way. That's true repentance. That's true turning around. That's true turning and, and, and living differently. And then we will have a party. We can stand here with confidence because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in his grace, he's rescued us. What kind of God does this story tell you about? It tells you about a God of grace and a God of love. That's the kind of God it tells you about. And if you want to know what the so what is for your life, the so what is that God loves you. And there is nothing you can do. And there's nowhere you can run that will take you away from that love. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And he wants to pour his love out upon you. And guilt and shame does not come from this kind of father. And if you've never felt you've had a dad like that, I want to look you in the eyes this morning and say, you've got a dad like that in heaven. And he's championing you and cheering you on. And he's been at every single sports day. And he's seen every single report card. And he's heard everything that's been said about you. And he's been in every situation alongside you. And he has longed to say to you, let's go and have a party. I love you. I love you. But I... I I get get it that it's hard to respond to that. I get it. Because this is normally the talk that's for non-Christians. This is normally the talk for people to run home. And for some of you, I've pressed into issues where you feel like, oh, wow, I didn't even think of it like that. I get it that sometimes it's hard. Some of us are like, yes, come on, whoa, I've lived in this. And some of you are like, to be honest, I'm a Christian, but I've never really known that kind of love. I've never really come before God with that kind of love. And it's that, if that's you, I'm going to invite the band up. And just quietly, if, 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 if you're like, I need that kind of love. I need to know God like that. I really want to come before God like that. I'm going to invite you just to stand right now. We're not going to do anything. I'm not going to call you forward. Your response is to stand, and then we're going to sing over you. We're going to sing a song called Good, Good Father, and we're going to worship over you, and then I will pray for you. But if you know that you don't know a love like this, you don't know a God who would want to party with you, you've been very distant from God. You've kept him at a very safe distance because you've been too scared to really live it out and lay it all out before God. I'm just going to invite you to stand right now. If you know you need to be fathered by God, you need the love of God as a father